Yes, indeed, what a glorious and joyous day this is, because He is risen, risen indeed. But you know, for not all people is this day such a glorious day. Last week, on another glorious day for Christians, there were two Christian churches that were attacked and bombed in Egypt. They were the target of terrorists. And we know that not only there in Egypt, but in other parts of the world too, Christians have been targeted for persecution. Why is it that Christians are so hated? Why is it they have become a target for violence? Why talk about such a topic like that on such a joyous day? Because that's how the first Easter started. 2,000 years ago, the Christians were huddled together in fear of persecution. The religious leaders of the day had gotten the people together in order to reject this one who had come to bless them and to save them. And the Roman government had a force in place to stop any movement that would take on and, be, and take on their leader, and they would put an end to them as they had done that leader, Jesus. And so there was a lot of fear and a lot of sorrow on that first Easter. But God will not be stopped. God's work, God's message of salvation could not be stopped. And even though for the next several hundred years Christians would be persecuted, the church would grow and the message would get louder and louder. God would not be stopped. Now, to be sure, that persecution no doubt turned people away from Christ. And God certainly knew what his people were being faced with and what they needed, that they needed some encouragement and some strength to persevere, and God would provide it, just as he does today. You see, it's, it's not just the opposition we might face from those who oppose us, but it's also all the other experiences, all the other hardships that we go through in life that may cause us to wonder, may cause us to doubt if God really cares, if God is really there. God knows we need that encouragement, and he is there to give it. He knew what his first century Christians needed. And so in a, in a special message, with visions, God gave a message of encouragement to his people through the Apostle John. He let John see what the history of the rest of the world would be like, but also assured him of God's protection for his people and victory in the end. John recorded all of that for us in a book we call Revelation, written about 95 A.D., and in the very beginning of that book, Jesus appears to John 
and tells him who he is and what he has done, that he is alive. Here are the words of Jesus from Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Are there things in your life that sometimes seem overwhelming? Whether it's all the things happening throughout the world reported to us in the news, or maybe it's just some of the hardships and the challenges you face in everyday life. Maybe you have some questions and some doubts. Well, let us make this day one of celebration to chase away all those doubts and fears and give us confidence because he is alive. Now, for those first Christians, there were a lot of doubts. Was it true? The tomb was empty and Jesus was alive? Even for Christ's followers after the resurrection, there were still doubts. And even today among people, there are still doubts. How could that be? It's impossible. But our response is, he is alive. It is true. Just take a look at the evidence. Take a look at all the physical proof that we have. Jesus was dead. The Roman guard made sure of that. They pierced his side and outflowed blood and water. He was dead. His followers wrapped him up in cloths and laid him in that tomb. There was a large stone put in front of that tomb, but on Easter morning, that stone was rolled back. The seal that had been put around it to protect it was broken, and the guards were gone. There was no mistake made. That was Jesus' tomb. The grave clothes inside all folded up neatly. There was no quick theft of a body. The tomb is empty because Jesus is alive. And then you have the testimony of all those witnesses. The guards themselves, scared off by the earthquake and the angel, run back to tell their commander, and they're threatened not to tell anybody about that. The women go to the tomb and hear the angel tell them, He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Mary herself sees Jesus. The Apostle Paul recounts for us in his great chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, all the witnesses who saw it. He writes, For what I received I have passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the Twelve. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. And then he appears to John. Look at all that evidence. Listen to all the witnesses. They have one message. He is alive. At the beginning of those passages that I just read, there's one point I want to call your attention to. It's underlined or highlighted there in yellow. That he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Yes, we have that physical proof. Yes, we have all those witnesses. But more importantly, we have God's Word on it. He is alive. That Word given to us in prophecy and in proclamation. Hundreds of years before it happened, King David spoke of it with these words. You will not let your Holy One see decay. In the beautiful chapter written by Isaiah, depicting the Savior as a lamb who was led to slaughter for the sins of the world, he also speaks of his resurrection. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Jesus himself foretold his own resurrection. He said, destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so he would be in the tomb for three days. Three times Jesus specifically said he would suffer and die and rise again on the third day. That's why he proclaimed himself as the resurrection and the life. The angels declared it. Peter, Paul, and John the apostles, in their preaching and in their writings, make it very clear, Jesus is alive. My friends, there is a preponderance of evidence to support this truth. If any other event had such proof, there would be no question about it. But I want to call your attention to one more phrase that Paul wrote. He said, what I have received and pass on to you is of first importance. He wants us to realize that what happened to Christ is very important for us because it assures us that God keeps his word. Christ died for our sins. Christ was raised again, as God said it would be, for our justification, so that we would be pronounced innocent of our sins. Because God has kept that word, we have assurance that he keeps every word, every promise to us. So despite whatever we experience, whatever hardships we go through, illnesses, challenges, even someone's death, 
we have the promise that we live and are blessed because he is alive. Therefore, we know that our faith is not futile. Though some may say this is just a crutch that you lean on. Though some may say it's just a bunch of tales and there's no truth behind it. We know that faith in this is not futile. It is the foundation for our life and our hope. The Apostle Paul spoke of that too as he was challenged by people who were doubting the resurrection of Christ. He wrote, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. But Christ has been raised, and our faith is not futile. We are not still in our sins. We are forgiven, and because he is alive, we are alive. The truth of the resurrection is so critical to our faith in our religion. It sets Christ apart from any other God of any other religion. Because no other religion has a God who has come into this world to live and to die to save the people from their wrongs. There is no other religion that teaches that or has that kind of hope. And so we refer to the resurrection as a capstone. A capstone is that center stone in an arch that supports that whole arch. If you remove that center stone, the rest of the arch collapses. The resurrection is key, is central to all of our beliefs, and therefore they are all true. That was so clear. When you, when you listen to the apostles preach, when you read their writings, how important and how central the resurrection was and is. And that's the message for us to keep the message clear about the resurrection, to keep it central in our teaching, and to make it celebrated. Not just on a glorious day like today, but every Sunday. In fact, every day. Tomorrow when you go to work. Next week when you return to school. When you're shopping. When you're recreating. When you're relaxing. When you're paying your bills. In everything. Celebrate this truth. He is alive. Why the curse of sin is broken 
There's a reason why the darkness runs from light There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven Jesus is alive There's a reason why we are not overtaken There's a reason why we sing on through the night There's a reason why our hope remains eternal Jesus is alive Praise the King
Hallelujah, he's alive. That's why we celebrate. But it's not the only reason why people were celebrating this week. On Monday, Cubs fans were celebrating again. You see, it was their opening day at Wrigley Field, and it was their first opportunity to raise the championship banner. Yes, they were finally champions after 108 years. And so that meant all Cubs fans were watching the game. And that even though I was glued to the TV watching the news, I had to give up the remote because, you see, there's a genetic disorder in my family. <laughs> They've gotten it from their mother. They're all Cubs fans. And they needed to see this important event. Even though there was a couple-hour rain delay in the game, oh, no, couldn't touch that channel. They had a watch because at any moment that flag could be raised. And so the question really then is, will they win again? Will they, able, will they be able to be champions again? Or will they have to wait another 108 years? Well, I tell you, the game the other night was pretty close, so it's going to be a long season. They may have to wait for victory. But we don't. We have a triumph now. Because it's true, he is alive. The Apostle Peter, in his first words to his readers who were suffering persecution, lays out the triumph that is theirs. He wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Did you see how he describes what our triumph is? It's a hope, not a wish, a confidence. He calls it a living hope, living because it's true, it's real, it's alive, it's active in every part of our life. I'm sure for those first Christians, it must have been tough times to be persecuted. Maybe they thought their faith was futile. Maybe they thought this new following would die out. But it didn't. God wouldn't let it. For 2,000 years, the church has grown and the message has been strong. He is alive. That same confidence is ours. Through all we experience in life, we have the assurance that God will keep his promises to bless us. That reminds us that we are at peace with God. 
So despite whatever hardships we might experience, it's not because God is angry at us. The world may be at war with themselves, but God is not at war with the world. We have peace with God and with it the assurance of blessings. Jesus spoke these words, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So in Jesus we have assurance and we have peace. But when we do go through those tough times, those hardships, we need strength. We need to be able to persevere. And God enables us to do that. With his word, with his promises, he strengthens us. In my ministry with inmates in the prison, they tell me of the struggles that they face and the hardships that they have to do, endure to hang on to their faith. But they said it's always God's word that brings them back and makes them strong. And so it is for you and I. We are strengthened by his word. Peter goes on. These, that is these trials, have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. With that, Peter is telling us we have a purpose. It's for the praise and glory of God. When I was preparing for ministry and going through college, I was getting discouraged because the work was so hard. Some of the courses we had to take and the heavy credit load was just weighing me down. And I had decided at one point that was it. I was quitting. I was going to go to the public university instead and go into music. And I had my application for admission all filled out and ready to go. And then Easter happened. And I'll never forget what I heard and what a change it made for me. I can still remember where I was sitting in my church and the pastor preaching on that beautiful message. He is not here, he's risen. And when I heard that message, I just said to myself, that message is too good not to be told. So I went back, and I've continued since. I will not stop, because that's our purpose, to praise and to obey and to proclaim. Now, it's easy to do on a Sunday like this. It's easy to do when we gather together once a week. But it's something we're to do throughout all of our week, throughout all of our life. When you go to work tomorrow morning, when you return to school, when you're shopping, all of those things, paying those bills, praise, 
obey and proclaim your Savior. Because there's a prize for us, that prize of eternal life. Paul was right when he said, if we have this hope for this life only, then we are to be pitied among all people. But our hope goes beyond to an eternal prize, to the resurrection of this body. And for those of you who have lost loved ones or friends this year, that's your hope. They are alive because Jesus is alive. And through faith in him, they live. So this is our triumph. What Jesus declared. Because I live, you also will live. We have a living hope. And that's why we have a hope to live. That is certainty. That is victory because he is alive.